So today our guest is Lieutenant Brian Murphy. And for our listeners out there, uh, Lieutenant Brian Murphy tells a story of survival, resilience, heroism, and pays a lot of homage to victims from the day of August 5th, 2012. He titles this Murphy's Law. And I want to warn our viewers for the uh, the graphic descriptions and, and content in this particular story, but it's a story that needed to be told. And I want to thank our producer, Charlie Walker. Uh, he did a fantastic job putting this together. I know it wasn't easy, and I, I know there was a lot of content on there that you had to deal with. So I want to say thank you very much for that, Charlie. Well, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to, to be part of this, to, to spend the evening with him. Uh, we got to go out and have dinner afterwards, and, you know... He was the same guy that you're going to see during this podcast. Just a very real, genuine guy. And uh, those are the people I really love learning from. You know? Yeah, we learned a lot today as the uh, 10-year anniversary just approached of this. So for our listeners, uh, I hope you get as much out of this as we did. I can't tell you how in-depth this podcast went with Lieutenant Brian Murphy. We put so much into this in a two-hour window that we had to break it into two parts. So check out the first episode today. Come back on Wednesday for the second part of the series. Welcome to the What's Your One More podcast. I'm your host, Quentin Harris. Today, I'm joined by my co-host, Alex Stewart. Thanks for being here, Alex. Absolutely. And our guest, Lieutenant Brian Murphy. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me down. We're really honored to have you on the show as today we talk about uh, a different kind of really podcast for us. We normally talk about financial, um, you know, growth and, and leadership and mindset. And while this is a story um, that does involve some of that, this is a, uh, a different type of really setting for us today, Alex. And I would say that, again, we're honored that you're here as we're on the 10-year anniversary of an event we're going to talk about today. And uh, I know in the pre-show, we talked a little bit about that event, and I saw the emotion come out about that 10-year anniversary. And um, this will be the second time I've heard Murphy's Law, and I will tell you that uh, each time the hair on my arm stands up. And I did want to warn our audience today that some of the content um, is, is not... Uh, is not for the faint of heart, and it's also not for the young of ears. So I would recommend that uh, maybe you listen to this one on your own before you share it, uh, but it is relevant to how we're going to present this today. So thank you for being on the show. I know you're going to walk us through a lot. Uh, we're going to have a lot of questions, but again, thank you for being here. No, again, I, I think it's, uh, especially after what's just transpired in Florida, I think this is just more of a message of resiliency and facing adversity. And, oh, great way to put it. Uh, whether it's you know, going back to the Stoics or the present, it's it's a, it's a story that I think is timeless. Uh, I think it's well said, well said. So um, we're going to start for the audience's perspective, talk a little bit about the town in Wisconsin where this took place and in your position with the police department. And then we're going to walk ourselves into that day and a couple of weeks prior to that day, if memory serves me correctly, of, of what was going through uh, this person's head as things were kind of transpiring and unfolding for us. So as I set that scene, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to you and kind of let you walk us through that. Okay. So uh, a lot of people don't know where Oak Creek, Wisconsin is, and I, I don't blame them. We're not a, not a huge city. I started back there in 91. Uh, I was from New York originally, uh, graduated and went to the Marines, came out, worked at the UN for a couple of years. Uh, and then decided to come out to Wisconsin. And uh, I, I, I got on with Oak Creek, very progressive department. Uh, but again, for an agency you've never heard of, a city you've never heard of, within an eight-year span, I was at two active shooting events. Uh, two totally different brands, uh, but again, for something that if you sit and you think it's not going to happen here, you know, bad shit picks you. That's mm -hmm. just the way it is. So... I, I mean, Oak Creek is, uh, when you look at the map, we're in uh, the far right-hand corner. We border the city of Milwaukee to the south. Uh, when, I, when I started there uh, back in 91, we had 14,000 people, kind of a farming community at that point. We're just transitioning uh, into a more progressive leadership 
uh, growing business, growing buildings, you know, and that type of thing. Because you can see uh, at the end, we were uh, three times the size that we were uh, when I was there. Mm. Uh, but the funny thing is, it, odd thing, when I started in 91, 14,000 people, we had 58 sworn. And then when I retired in 13, we had 36,000 calls for service up 500%, and we still had 58. Oh, wow. So in all of that, like calls for service, like I say, up 500%, I, what do you do when you, you still have the same amount of people, same equipment, everything else? And unfortunately, a lot of this stuff transpires and uh, how you deal with it after the fact is, you know, it's always after. Just like, you know, down in Florida, you deal with a hurricane, it's after. You know, it took a long time, I'm sure, before building code said it's gotta be built this way, it's gotta be made that way. So it's kind of the same thing. Uh, you can see out, out of the 58 sworn, 26 were SWAT people, uh, which is a high amount of SWAT mm -hmm. for, a, for a small agency. But that goes back uh, to the first shooting that we had, uh, Back in 2004, we had a drug dealer uh, staying up a third third story of uh, a local hotel. Uh, gets annoyed at his girlfriend, uh, shoots her in the head. Goes out into the hallway. He's got a Mac 10 to 38, and just starts unloading as he's walking up and down the hallway. Uh, we get there, uh, the and my guy Bob was there in 30 seconds, just having to be up the block when it happens. Uh, long story short, the guy took a hostage. We asked the fire department, hey, get up here. And the fire department said no. And this is not new. This is still going on today uh, where fire departments won't enter a warm zone. Mm -hmm. uh, they're getting much better at it. Where, and I'm not blaming the fire department. That's policy. But it's all getting much better at that. Uh, so from that point, we upped our game. We got all kinds of equipment, got long guns in the cars, helmets in the cars, shields in the cars, all this stuff, uh, because we, we realized right away, you, you can't go into stuff outgunned. Uh, so that, the, the people who were there with me that day, uh, and it's a team thing, mm -hmm. uh, and always was and it always will be. So you had Sam, uh, Sam is a senior member, uh, ERU is our SWAT team, emergency response. He's a firearms instructor and had been for at least 10 years before the shooting. Uh, he's a sniper. Uh, we're not allowed to say sniper in Wisconsin. We have to say selected marksman because it sounds so much better. And if you're shot by a selected marksman, it's better than being sniped. Uh, I'm the only one who finds that for you. And then the other people who were there with me. Uh, and, and again, sometimes we look at when bad uh, events happen, we look at the victimology. We looked at everything outside the departments. But when you have a small department, you know, I have 11 guys on my shift. Mm -hmm. This is all personal because we've grown together. Uh, Julie started three months after me. John started six months after me. Uh, Derek was three years after me. I was his training officer. Uh, Kelly, three months after me. Uh, Mike, five years after I was his training officer. And my guy, Dean, uh, three years, and I was his training officer. So we've known and worked together for 20 years. So then when something bad happens, and we don't get, uh, I would say on average in our city, maybe one to three homicides a year. Mm -hmm. It's not a violent city whatsoever. Uh, and, and conversely, we've only had one other officer shot in the entire history of the department dating back to 56. So it's not, it's not necessarily a uh, life on razor's edge type type place, but but still the the idea that it could happen wasn't lost on us. Now, that's all of us, and you're living in a city that's uh, probably higher middle class demographics, uh, no gang issues to to speak of. We have mm -hmm. yeah, we have drug activity, some stuff, but nothing mega. Uh, and then nothing you, on the radar, nothing that stood out. No, that, you know, you get transient people because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're, we're in between Milwaukee and Chicago, so you get people going through, but nobody really, uh, other than actually a couple of uh, motorcycle gang, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Milwaukee outlaws 
are, are huge in their nationwide group. But invariably, all those guys, uh, they know the they know the way things run. So you don't cause trouble where you live because it just doesn't work that way. So, right. uh, and on the converse of this, you you, you deal with everybody uh, on a daily basis. But you get that outlier, and and the outlier is actually the perpetrator. You know, uh, I'm not going to mention his name unless it pops out accidentally because he's not worth it. Understood. Uh, but you know, we we talked about this, and I pointed it out before. But you can see right on his shoulder the uh, the fourteen mm-hmm. right here. So if you ever see fourteen on someone, a tattoo or a logo like that, the, the fourteen. Uh, comes from this guy, David Lane. So David Lane was a white supremacist anarchist, uh, wanted a race war in the United States. And I don't memorize the words because I don't want to give them homage, but it's something along the lines of we must uh, endure and secure an existence for white children. So 14 words, basically. Right, it, right that's exactly right. So it, it, you may not have ever heard of David Lane, but you know his protege who was uh, Timothy McVeigh. Mm-hmm. So it, this is it, he's not this is not a new thing. Correct. It's been around for a little bit, and a lot of people don't know like that, the name Timothy McVeigh, but the David Lane and the and the actual fourteen itself that was new to me when we heard this. Right. That was something I've never heard of. Right, right. and you've probably seen the fourteen somewhere before, uh, just like some of his other tattoos. Uh, if you ever see a. Uh, Skull and crossbones with a patch over the right eye. That's Orion. Our race is our nation. Mm. That's another white supremacist thing. Now, granted, there are people who have skull and crossbones that are not white supremacists, but just generally speaking. And and the truth be told, he doesn't come, uh, Paige doesn't come from an area that was, you know, where he was picked on because he was white. He wasn't involved in any of this till he joined the military. So he grew up uh, in uh, Denver. His, it was raised by his grandparents, who his grandfather was a judge, spent a lot of time with his aunt and uncle. His uncle was a Colorado State trooper. And according to his, his sister, everything was good with him until he joined the military. Hmm. And once he joined the military, he developed a drinking problem, and he became a racist. Uh, Those and, things typically don't go together. Well, no, he was actually followed by a professor out in Stanford who was doing a, 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 a thesis on the white supremacist movement. And he, they interviewed him. And one of his words that were that was quoted that came back was that if you did two things, one, if you didn't join a military racist, you'll become one before you left. I did almost five years in the Marines. No, actually, it's the other way around because right. if you don't grow up with, you know, people of other nationalities, religions, or whatever, all of someone somebody's throwing rounds at you, you don't really care anymore. It's mm-hmm. we're on in this together. So he had used that, um, and the other thing was becoming a full fledged alcoholic while he was there. That actually got him kicked out. But he had said to the professor, the problem with the white supremacist movement is too much talk, not enough action. Mm. That was that was his. That's main, quoted in the thesis there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there, there's uh, this film on that, uh, but the the point being was so now he's dating. He comes up to Wisconsin. He gets kicked out of the army. Uh, bounces around. He's a member of the Eastern Hammerskins in North Carolina. Bounces around. Comes up to Wisconsin. Meets a girl. She's a white supremacist for Volksfront. It's a white supremacist group founded out in jails in Portland. So now you have two people of the same ideology, violent ideology, uh, and they're having the same arguments. Not enough gets done, blah, blah, blah. So what happens is simply this. He's dating in North Carolina. He's dating an American Indian girl, which is taboo because if you're a white supremacist, you should only be dating white girls. Uh, He comes up to Wisconsin. Nobody in North Carolina finds out about it. Comes up to Wisconsin, dates that girl. When they break up, she finds a picture of him with the lady from North the, Carolina. The, right, the, the American Indian. She gets totally pissed off, calls down to Chicago, where it's the home of the Northern Hammerskins. Mm-hmm. And they set a meeting up with him and kick him out. Now, for you and I and most people, if somebody kicked you out of their group or think of it basically, that's his job at this point. 
So if you get fired, you pick up and move on. But this was not his thing. Hmm. That in his head, and as even the doctor who had done the, the thesis on him had described was these were his only family. These were his, his bros and uh, getting kicked out was huge to him. So he followed this pathway of he quits his job. He calls the actual the American Indian girl in uh, North Carolina, and they talked about going back together. He told her he loved her, and she was okay with everything. And then mm-hmm. two days later, he enters uh, Badger Arms in West Dallas, Wisconsin, to get his Springfield X-8 9-millimeter. So the, the thing, one of the reasons why I always bring up this picture is they're not, these people are not stupid. He's tattooed, neck to ankles. It's hot in this part. He's and what does he yeah. show up in? A long sleeve white shirt. Right. So Almost sweatshirt. Like. Exactly. Almost a sweatshirt. So he's making sure nobody sees his ink. Uh, and, and this part here to me is one of the biggest educational spots that are out there. And, and it's simply for this. While everybody else that you see at this range, and if you've ever been to indoor shooting range, mm-hmm. it's like this 99.9% of the time. People are going shooting recreationally. Uh, let's see who gets the most bullseyes. Mm-hmm. But he's not. He is absolutely, every time he pulls that trigger, he is conditioning himself uh, to, it's called cognitive resiliency. Uh, simply put, he's imagining a head blowing up every time he's pulling the trigger. So then when it does happen, he's not affected. This was almost the <clears throat> first time I heard this. It was like you were explaining that he's desensitizing himself from what's he's expecting to do or wanting to do. Exactly. And, you know, like you said, the average person, this this isn't how this is translated. I mean, you're sweating. I'm sweating just listening to you right now. We're, we're not even through the story. Holding a handgun, you're the same way. And then this guy, you know, when you tune in and see this photo, he's stone cold. Yeah. See, and that, that I mean, there's a, a great point there is if, if in fact you were thinking, I'm going to go on a mass killing spree, you would be excited, right? Mm-hmm. Or nervous or you would have something. But by constantly doing this, he shoots about 300 rounds a month. And so everybody who doesn't grasp that, not a month, I apologize, about 300 rounds a week. I know police departments that guys don't shoot 50 rounds a year. And that's their job is to be armed. Their job is to be out there. This is this is not new. Uh, whether it's him, whether it was the couple out in San Bernardino, California, mm-hmm. at the, the Civic Christmas party, uh, whether it was Aurora, Colorado, all these people practice their craft. And their craft, unfortunately, is killing. Uh, and I, I, the reason why, I, I mean, especially when I, I speak a lot to law enforcement, especially new cops on the job, is to, to hammer the point home. Imagine you're going in to fight someone for the first time. Now, I could say, oh, we're going to go and we're going to spar. And if you've never boxed or you've never, you know, rolled jujitsu or whatever, you'll be nervous. Mm-hmm. But... If you said, oh, I'm going to have you go spar with Mike Tyson, you're going to be, you know. Scared. Scared, and Mike Tyson is going to be eating a sandwich. <laughs> yeah. Because that, but it's, and, and I want you to kind of grasp that. It's the same. Now, take it to another level. Take it to a personal level. When was the last time you were upset and scared and had to do something? Your fingers don't work right, you're your brain doesn't work right, you panic. This is where you are going to be against someone who does this every day, imagines killing people every day. So now he can walk through the building methodically doing what he had planned to do. Who's at a bigger advantage? Do you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. and, and, and I'm not just even talking from the victim's perspective, I'm talking from even from a law enforcement perspective. 
I mean, I, I, I was a cop for 23 years, and, you know, you're, you're driving, and that call comes in. Man with a gun or shots fired, man, your heart rate goes up, your breathing gets out of control. Then things go sideways pretty damn yeah. fast. And, and again, it goes back to him. This is, a, this is a skill. This is something that he is going to do. This, this cycle is not going to end because he wakes up one day and says, oh, you know what? Maybe I won't. This, is, this takes almost a month from beginning to end to, to come to fruition. So but now he's got everything in, in place. Mm -hmm. The day before, on August 4th, 2012, he shaves his head. He takes his hammer skin patch, which meant everything to him. And he mails it, puts nothing in the envelope other than the patch and mails it to Chicago. Just basically as a giant... Yeah, I'm done. F you to them. You want to see? Now I'm going to show you. Mm -hmm. So he shows up at the temple. And I, before this, and I, I do want to preface this, because the shooting takes place on Sunday. He went to the temple on Tuesday. Now, where the temple's located, it's off the roadway. Uh, it, it really, you can't even see it from the roadway. And they don't get a lot of visitors. So to have someone come in and ask about the religion, they... They thought this was great, and they brought him in. They showed him all around. So then he comes back Thursday evening, different group in the temple. Mm -hmm. Same thing. Thank you for being I, here. We'll take you all around. Oh, by the way, why don't you eat with us? I didn't recognize that. I didn't hear that the first time. So but, I told you, it never, it never, it never he had does. multiple yeah. tours. I was always yeah. wondering how he knew so many entry so, points. But what do you call it? Case in the joint. Exactly. He's case in the joint. He's doing wow. his recon. He's doing his homework on this. And again, on the antithesis of this, the Sikh community are usually, they stay to themselves, generally speaking. So to have an outsider who wants to come in and look at this, that was, that meant a lot from the only, the only thing that set off a half a bell was when he was leaving. They saw him in the parking lot. It was about 7.30 at night. Saw him in the parking lot taking pictures of like all the way around the outside. And they thought that was odd. Yeah. So he's just doing entry points, exit points. Again, he was, he's in the military for six and a half years. So he's got the background. He knows how to do all this. So, you know, from the, the, the very beginning, uh, and we do it this way where mm -hmm. I just point it out. So when the, the video plays, it's going to spin. And as you're looking at it in the bottom right-hand corner, you're going to see a red truck, and that's that's his truck. Okay. Uh, and then as everything spins, I'm going to leave the pointer finger here. So as the building spins, whatever room hits that finger, I'll explain to you the, in, the inside of the temple. Uh, well, the finger's not there, but... It's the bottom of the screen, if mm -hmm. you can believe it. The building itself is 17,500 square feet. So the very first room here, for lack of a better term, is the cafeteria. Uh, after service, everybody sits together and they eat together. Uh, the next room coming around is the prayer area. Sits around probably 1,500 people you could fit in there. North side of the building, you have a conference room, three bedrooms, and a library. And then as it swings around, I'm going to see if we can hopefully make this work. So I want you to just imagine yourself. You're looking. Now you're going to come in the door. So you're going to come in that front door, which is what the bad guy does. First thing he sees is the room to the prayer area. Now it spins around. And you cannot go in the kitchen without going in that room, mm -hmm. which takes you back into the cafeteria. Giant passageway here. And the only way in the kitchen area these two doors. Now, the, the red lines are trajectory rods, so it's just showing where rounds came in. So you can see one to the left and then two meet. That's called the point of convergence. And then this machine here is just a microwave oven, and there's three more rounds that go in there. Okay? So that just just give you a, a, a fairly easy layout of the building. So it's 1025 Sunday mornings, historically in Oak Creek, super quiet time. Not much goes on. A lot of people are at mass. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's it was a beautiful day. It was 80 degrees, not a cloud in the sky. It was 
every day that you kind of hope for. But the first call is going to come in from a woman who had just driven into the parking lot. So I want you to just kind of hopefully by... Okay, 911, where's your emergency? Yeah. Transfer to the transfer of the Sikh temple. What's going on? Um, yeah, I was just in the parking lot going to go in, and um, I hadn't parked yet, but I heard gunshots, and someone was shot. I, I think that someone was shooting. Some guy was, he was bald. I left, you know, because I didn't, my kids were in the car, but he was bald, and um, he had glasses on, and I think he shot somebody with a turban. And um, I'm, I'm there, but I left the site, but I... Um, but I just uh, wanted to let you guys know. Okay. Uh, he went inside the temple. He's planning on shooting other people. Listen to the way her voice changes now. Mm-hmm. Do you see the individuals inside? I, I didn't see him inside. It's on the parking lot. He shot. He shot somebody. There were shots heard. Okay. Okay. We're we're sending on it. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, thank you. Okay. Bye. Be safe. Go out of the area. So one of the things that. It, you'll you'll hear is but initially she said I heard the shots and I left because I had kids in the car but then her voice changes and we all know that you can hear when someone gets excited mm-hmm. and especially in the law enforcement community you'll uh, it's almost like a song people will start breathing their breath is getting out so they're they're breathing and I'm talking and then and then and then so what I didn't get was how did she, and it's a it's an anomaly. She said, I left the area, I had kids in the car, but then she describes how he shot the man and then went into the building. But if you left the bill, if you left the lot, you can't even see the roof of the building. So really what it is, and we've all done this, where you drive by a car accident that's on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. Your brain is saying, I should drive my car and keep going. But what do you do? Rubberneck. Right, you rub me. You get all looky loo, and you're like, "Oh wow, what is that?" Your brain is saying, "Move," and you are, in theory, your brain is moving, but you physically haven't made that happen. Right. So that's really all that's about. And I know it's not a, it's not a big thing, but it technically it is because she's watching something transpire. So what actually happens is this black car that's here, uh, he's in front of the shooter. Okay. He drives in a lot, parks on the north side of the, the lot up against uh, that that wall that goes to an industrial park. And it just so happens there's guys paving a lot that Sunday morning, just beautiful day. Bad guy comes in. He goes the exact opposite. He goes to the, the south side of the lot, turns his car, faces in so he can see everybody in the lot. He can see whoever's driving in and he can see the building. Now, at the same time, there's two kids. They are 10 and 7 at the time. I'm going to play them for you because they're outside. Their parents had just left. So as the parents are leaving, they're going to go to the grocery store. Uh, Like I said, they have this thing called a Langer meal uh, that the Sikh do. They cook before mass or before service and then eat together after. So the parents leave. The two kids are outside playing. It's the little girl's birthday. So her and her brother are just hanging out. Just bear in mind that the video was taking place five years after, so they look older. But at the at the time of this, they were just ten and seven yeah, years. They're reenacting essentially what exactly, happened. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It was a bench, and we were just you know playing a little game of tag. And we were just having a good time. Yeah. And then um, later on, I saw a Caucasian gentleman walking out of his car and approaching two men. Um, who were kind of like the priests, you could kind of say, of this Gurdwara. Slowly and slowly, he just picked up his pace and started speed walking. And all of a sudden, from his like belt buckle, like right around his waist area, he pulled out a gun and um, shot them both. You know, I was in, kind of in shock, but I kind of just had to come out of it because my sister and I were there. So I grab her hand and we run towards the door. We were in the kitchen cooking, you know, like 10, 15 ladies. Then uh, one boy and girl came from our, from the hall, and this is uh, somebody shooting outside. You know, I was like, there's a shooter outside. They thought someone was like had a camera and was like shooting people. 
Yeah, I was in the kitchen. They grabbed my arm and uh, telling me, uncle, uncle, shooting, 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 you know. I was thinking, you know, what the hell they're talking about? And they're like, what shooters? And like, they kind of didn't believe us. And I started crying. I was like, there's, sh there's a shooter outside. And they heard a gunshot. They looked outside of the window and they saw the two men like lying on the ground. It's not even a minute. He came, start shooting into the hall. So lady coming from uh, this hall, she got shoot over here in the arm. And she told me that guy coming with gun, he's gonna shoot everyone. Then, you know, I was so scared. Everybody's scared, you know, what happened. Now, the part that always bothers me the most is it's that little girl's birthday. So for the rest of her life, her birthday is going to be the anniversary of this. And how, mm. how horrible is that? You know what I mean? You're seven years old and now that's what you got to look forward to. So now he comes in, he, uh, we'll, we'll go through here. He, uh, he, that, the one on the left that you're looking at. Uh, um, all right. This is the, this is the guy next door talking about the shooting. He's in a church with a gun? Yeah, yeah, he's shooting, he's still shooting. I can hear it in there. He's in there shooting people. He's like in the there back. shooting hey. people? Yeah, uh, that's my guess. He had a gun, he was shooting on the outside. And then we see them run in there. Uh, a bigger guy, white shirt. Bigger, okay, bigger gentleman, white male? Yeah, white male looked to be, I mean, we were 100 yards away. We were doing a lot next door. Okay, a bigger, okay, a white male with a gun. Uh, what, can you tell me anything else? Uh, it was a handgun, that's all I know. A handgun, what was he wearing? A uh, white shirt, that's all I've really seen. A white shirt? We get out of the way. <laughs> white shirt? Yeah. I don't know. It's right next door. It's uh, some kind of temple. We're at. Uh, there's we. You're right. It's right. It's we already have officers responding. Okay. Okay. Uh, we 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 seen them kind of go in, and we just heard some more uh, shots fired. So we're thinking it's not good. Okay, and you did hear shots. And your oh, yeah. workers. I, 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 where are you working? Uh, I'm sorry. What? Your workers. Okay. We'll be, we're sending people. We're getting okay. multiple calls. Okay. So they're basically sitting there watching from uh, next door perfect, across yeah, the street. They're, they're right there watching it and they can hear all these shots going off. So when the bad guy comes in, he's shooting from this front door, which is down here. So the like the two kids said, the lady's in the kitchen, which is this way. She, like most people, wouldn't immediately think, oh, we have an active shooter situation. Like, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. Let me go look. So when she turns the corner, she gets to here, bad guy comes in the door, right from the front door, shoots, hits her just on the forearm. Uh, she goes running back. And as she's running back, Mrs. Cower uh, is coming from the kitchen area. The woman that got shot says, go back, go back. He's going to kill everybody. And Mrs. Cower says, I'm going in to pray. God is going to protect me. So Mrs. Cower, as she's walking across or running across he takes one shot hits right here by the hinge you can see on this it's right around hinge high now it's difficult to see but when you come in there's like a five foot vestibule area and then there's like four steps that go up to the prayer platform and everybody goes up there so miss coward doesn't even go up the stairs she just comes in button hooks turns the corner goes down on her hands and needs to pray he comes in right on top of her, boom, 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 shoots her four times and kills her. Now, the only thing that I didn't get, and and luckily, if he'd have purely done, or if he'd have done really good homework, he would have waited 20 minutes because service would have been almost on and it would have been packed. Mm. And he just could have walked straight in there was no security. There was no nobody to question his entrance. Just walked into that room and unloaded. Was he looking for a challenge? I don't know. Or a sport? Or, no know? idea. Uh, it, that's the downside when 
they're not alive is to find out. You know, there's a lot of them to answer questions. But so now there's nobody else in a prayer room. He comes back out and think of it this way. You just walked up the end of the hall, open the door at the end of the hall. And so then when he comes back out, he's facing where he came in. Is a hallway left and a hallway right. And uh, at the time, while he was going after Mrs. Carroll, this this gentleman was on the phone with us. Oh, Creek 911, where's your emergency? Oh, well, I'm emergency. You got to talk. That person fired 15 at the 20 round in the 6th temple of Wisconsin. Okay, you're in the 6th temple. Okay. What's going on? Yeah. What's going on? What's going on? Six temple of Wisconsin people are firing up. Sixty round, they fire the police. Uh, police is not reaching. What is that? the thing is going on? Okay, we have on? officers in route. Well, I don't get in round. The white guy is doing firing at least. He did 50 They're fighting. Rounds. Is there a gun? Oh, gun. He was the white guy is doing the firing already. 15 around. Okay, we have officers there. And that's the last words that man ever says. I asked uh, party who's, well, we'll get to it, but his, uh, his his father was killed there. I asked, what was that conversation that was going on? Because if you listen, he's talking to us, but there's a side conversation. So he's talking to his wife. That door that's at the end of the hall goes down to the basement. The basement has a steel door that's locked. So if you listen, the kid said, Half went to the kitchen, half went the other way. This is the other way. So his wife, this gentleman's wife, is saying, come with us, hurry up, come with us. And he's saying, no, take them and go. You just go. And the, the way the, the shots go, uh, they start about two feet to the dead man's right, and they're every six inches up the wall till it hits him. Because you hear pop, 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 mm -hmm. and then you hear him. I don't know why. He walks the rounds, but it wasn't sporadic. They were a, a line. definitive line going against them. And, you know, this speaks to that gun range conversation we were just having. I mean, those, the, the, the spacing, if you may, the clusters, the line, the linear line, the way he did that, like this is part of that process that could have been recognized early on at a gun range, that you're seeing a marksman there that's desensitized potentially shooting 300 rounds a week. Right. You know, that, that, that at that point, hey, that, that's not normal. Exactly. That's not normal. Right. I mean, and, um, and, and I always thought about that when we did uh, hear you do this talk. That was one of the things that jumped off at me was it, it just wasn't normal. And normal people don't do this. Exactly. Normal people don't do this. Uh, the only downside to that is they hide well. Mm. They just do. Here, here's a guy that grew up always being under the radar. Even mm -hmm. his sister said that. Never did anything great, never did anything bad, just that Mr. Vanilla, do you know what I mean? Didn't draw attention, didn't, did, just was that guy. Uh, so now he gets done shooting him, continues down the hall, and this this next piece speaks specifically to what you were talking about, the desensitization. So when... He goes down the hall, there's a doorway here on the left and a doorway on the right. So he goes to the doorway on the left first, and inside that room is this guy, Baba Punjab Singh. He's a 65-year-old priest visiting from India. The door is closed over but not locked. It's ajar, uh, and he pushes the door open, and Bob is on his hands and he's praying, uh, and he shoots him right in the face. Uh, bullet goes in right next to his nose because of the angle, uh, clips his spinal column, turns him into a quadriplegic, and then he gets, uh, unfortunately, is a stroke on top of that while he was waiting for us to come and render aid. And I know I know his son, and I've, I've actually, on the 10th anniversary, I got to meet his grandson. Uh, the thing about Baba is... Here's a guy who has no military. He's got he, he, he's just a priest, and he couldn't communicate. Uh, he could only blink, and he had this thing. Then in the Sikh faith, there's a thing called tridikala, and it means having uh, optimism in the face of adversity. 
And the thing about Baba, I talked to his son extensively and he's like, you know, here's the thing. My dad feels like God chose him for this. So he doesn't back away from this. Not poor me. This is like, look what I'm capable of that God gave me this challenge. And I always look at that because, I mean, every three months I go get Botox injections in my throat, which suck to no end. You know, I'm in Wisconsin, so it's always cold and uh, the rounds cause arthritis in my hands and all that. So there's days where it sucks, mm -hmm. you know, but I always think of Baba and I'm like, man, I can sit here and wrap my, you know, my blanket of pity around me and say, poor me. But the truth is there's this guy who didn't have near the training I had and he looks at it like a blessing. Now I can get up and talk and eat and do whatever. How dare I look for pity when there's a guy who thought, this is still good. I, I can't get out of this bed. My mind is sharp. And so really, you're like a prisoner in your own head. And he, so whenever I'm like having a bad day, mm -hmm. I think of Bob and I'm like, no, it is, it, if, if you got to break out the, here, let me show you my bitching card. Mm -hmm. It better be pretty freaking big. Wow. You know what I mean? You know, so, it offers up some perspective, doesn't it, Alex? Well, it seems like he had, uh, while he didn't have military training, he had mindset training. I mean, if you talk about someone who has probably worked his whole life to to get his mind to a certain place, that's really what it seems like has gotten him there and has propelled him. Absolutely, and and obviously being a priest, right? Uh, and and following the the one of the basic tenets of of Sikhism is that, and I'm like, but still, it, you know, it's always one of those things, and we've all done this a thousand. Well, if that was me, I right. know what I do. Right. But when the rubber meets the road, right? When yeah. you wake up and this is what it is, you know, it's, uh, and, and unfortunately, Baba died to be passed two years ago. Um, but I always, I always look for him for inspiration. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I, I, again, he was just visiting, shouldn't have been there, but wow. I mean, he was put in that place. When it's your time, yeah. it, it is. So now on the flip side of this, we go back to what we had talked about earlier. So when he comes up to the other door, this door, he doesn't pound on it, it's closed. He doesn't pound on it, he doesn't ratchet the handle, he does the exact opposite. He just taps on the door three times. This is this is literally something out of a horror movie. Ab absolutely. This part, Ab absolutely. I mean, all of it is, but this this particular part. And it shows you specifically his demeanor. He's thinking through the whole process, he's going through his, you know, okay, Doors locked. What do I do now? Mm -hmm. These are all things thought, planned out, and now he's executing at to near perfection. Mm -hmm. So he knocks on the door, and when you think about it, what are most people going to do? And and it's easy for us to sit and we know what's going on outside, right? We know Michael Myers is out there. We know the chainsaw is out there. Mm -hmm. But if you were in that room and you heard that quiet knock, what are you, you really, going to do? You think it's a child. You think it's someone there that you want to help. And, and you know, that's exactly what he knew. That's the worst part of, that, that's of what, what he's doing. That's the part that bothers me the yeah. most out of all this. Because the next gentleman who opens the door, he opens it like most people would, using the door as a kind of shield, but I still got to look out. And the bad guy's just standing there with the gun waiting. So as soon as he sees half his face, he shoots him right through the eye. Uh, and he goes down. And then as he enters the room, think of it like a hotel room. Uh, there's a little closet here. Uh, there's a desk. You can see this Mr. Kalika. He's in the back. Uh, the room goes this way. There's a bathroom in the back. To and the then, back left. There's a bathroom yeah, to the, back to the left. right would be your closet. Right. And then in... if. As soon as you came in the room, it opens up. There's a bed along this wall. So as the bad guy makes entrance, Mr. Kalika's is in the back and he has his hands up and he's begging him, put the gun down, please, we can talk. And as the bad guy enters the room, he does look off to his left. There's a guy standing on a bed. He spins and boom, 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 shoots him three times in the stomach and then runs out of ammo. So the guy who gets shot in the stomach jumps off the bed runs completely out of the building and just by happenstance lands on the only house on that entire block of a person who can help him. He falls on Jim Hazy, who is a retired paramedic, 
special forces guy. <laughs> wow. And if he doesn't fall on that lawn, he's, he's going dead. to die. Hmm. But Jim calls the PD. He's like, I got something. I got a guy and our, our dispatch center's overrun at this point with 911 calls and everything else. I mean, you could kind of hear it in the calls earlier. But the, the, stress is, calls it's, the stress is there. So any, they, every 911 call is getting sent to them. There's only mm -hmm. two dispatchers. One where he's fired, one's working police. So they're trying to answer 911, direct us, get us. It's, it's, it's a shit show yeah. at this point. But Jim... Jim's like, okay, runs in his house, gets his med kit, jumps out, stuffs the wound. We're a small department. He, he just retired from the fire department like three, four months before this. So he calls the rigs that are up the block. They throw the guy in a rig and he's fine. Wow. But now he walks in a room. He reloads his gun. Mr. Kalik is there. He's got no military, no uh, no law enforcement, but he's He's the president of the temple. He's the mm -hmm. shepherd of the sheep. And he's begging him, please, you know, you don't need to do this. Boom, he shoots him. He goes down. So in a Sikh faith, is uh, these five Ks, and one of the Ks is a kirpan. It's a small ceremonial knife, probably about as big as that remote. Size is your clicker. Right. It's not sharp. It's just... It's about four inches. Yeah. Yeah. And, and on a good day, you could cut a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. That's it. It's not for this. But Mr. Kalika grabs him around a leg and starts stabbing him in the leg. Boom, boom, shoots him two more times. The Karpan goes out of his hand. And, and Kalika has no training. He knows if I don't do something, it's only going to get worse. Mm -hmm. So he takes his hands and he wraps them as hard as he can in the pants uh, that the bad guy's wearing, takes another round, and then the bad guy actually steps on his back so he could pull his leg away from Kalika and takes Kalika's fingernails with him. I mean, it, it, it's insane. And what he does there will have ramifications mm -hmm. very shortly. But he does kill him. And the other part of this is when everybody started running, Kalika took a mother, a father, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old and hit him in that back bathroom. Mm -hmm. And if he doesn't do that, that family He's dies. on to the next room. Yeah. Right. So, so now, at this point, victim count is, we have five, is it five? Well, he, he kills two outside. Okay. Uh, Mrs. Kalika, I'm sorry, Mrs. Cowers, three. Baba, well, he shot Baba, he shot the other woman in the arm. And then... Uh, the gentleman at the end of the hallway. Right. So, yeah, he's a... Like he said five, five or six, yeah. five or six. Wow! And this is this Actually, is less that's, than that's the last person. Kalik is the last one he kills. So he's at this point he's probably two and a half, three minutes in this place. Not even, believe not it even. or not. Wow! Not it feels even. like that. It's not even that. It, long. Yeah, it's uh, from the time we get the call, I'm there in a minute fifty nine. Wow! So it, so in it, a minute fifty nine, less than a minute fifty nine, he's already done this damage. Oh yeah. Oh, wow. Well, no, it, he's not. I, I take it back because he's not up to the kitchen yet. So this is all this. It's like 90 seconds. Yeah. Think about that's, that. That's how Think fast. About that. That's how fast this is going. 90 seconds. Right. And he's being methodical. Do you know what I mean? He's not running anywhere. Right. He's just, he took the time to knock on the door. So it's in his head, this isn't a race. And, and we'll get to it later, but there's no exit plan. This is not, I'm going to do this and go. The exit plan is us. Right. Or somebody's going to kill him. That's, and that, that, that's hard for people to conceptualize, but that's the nature of the beast is this is the way it's going to be. So, that, so now he comes all the way down the hall and he gets to the kitchen. Uh, and, and I do talk about this because I think it's important. When we look at, when, I, and I always ask this question: What's your, what's your definition of a warrior? Well, I mean, for it's for me as someone that is selfless, someone that you know will stand up for those around them, and everything else comes at a sacrifice of that. Okay, more about you. I'd say a trained fighter who is, uh, you know, eager in a conflict. Okay, because I because I because I look at a warrior, I look at like. Braveheart comes to mind. You know what I mean? Okay. And it was about fighting for freedom, freedom of others, so, uh, or, or even the movie Gladiator. You know, warrior, he's, he's 
fighter, right? Mm-hmm. But fighting for his freedom to get back to his family, fighting for those around his freedom. So that's why I always think like a fighter for freedom for others, including themselves. But you, you, neither one of you, if I told you to give me your physical description of the warrior, what would they look like? 38-year-old snowflake living at home eating <laughs> no. Doritos off his belly no. playing Call of Duty? No. no. Or no Schwarzenegger. No, hey. he just, yeah, The Rock. Right, right, right. okay. And, and I bring this up because I look at Mr. Kalika and I think that's the epitome of a warrior. He's protecting people in the mm-hmm. temple. He, he's giving his life up to the point that he has nothing except his hands and loses his fingernails before he dies. And, and there's a big thing, and there, it's not as big as it was, but it was a year ago, two years ago, that uh, the idea of looking at law enforcement as warriors, that was taboo. We don't want that word anymore. And, and, and I use this because I think of Kalika, and I think this is one of the most fitting descriptions of a warrior. And, and I bring it up because we get, we get so taken into the military, the, you know, Barbarian, Barbarians, yeah. and the truth of the matter is, this everybody in his building is a warrior. Everybody on its street is a warrior to some degree. Mm-hmm. It's what is it that you refuse to quit? I learned all of that up there from my mother when I came back, and I was in a Marine, so you would think I know, I knew all about warriors. Mm-hmm. But not till I came home and I watched my mom die of cancer, and I watched her fight it every day, that I realized, oh man. My mom doesn't give up, so I, I will never give up. And then my sister got cancer, and I watched her die. My mom died at 49. My sister died at 50. And they're both freaking warriors because they battled it for as long as they could. And sometimes that battle is getting out of bed in the morning. Hmm. Sometimes that battle is going to work, and knowing, man, it's going to be a bad day. My kid's sick. My my better half is sick. This is I'm not making the money I want, but you're there anyway. You do it anyway, and and to me that's we get so wrapped up that warriors are other people, but you you are a warrior. If you're mm-hmm. if you're here and you're breathing, and you do anything that you don't want to do, you're still living that warrior lifestyle. Not everything has to be, you know. And I talk about not everything has to be busting knuckles. Or pulling a trigger. Mm-hmm. Something that the hardest battles are the ones we never see. You know? So well now, said. sorry. Well said. I was saying, well said. Uh, so now, up in the other end of the temple is Mrs. Kalika. And I bet this is a quick one, but if you can just look to see uh, how small the pantry is. One of the ladies had a key to the basement, and everyone who was eating. They ran to the basement with her. Please go in the basement and lock the door. The rest of her, we are in kitchen, we all go in pantry. He says, hurry up, go in the pantry. He's here. So then we all ran into the pantry. The pantry is a very small space. There was 15 people, including my sister and I. And uh, once we had closed the door, we tried hearing the outside sounds. How big is that pantry? This, this table's bigger than yeah. that yeah. pantry. Four oh, feet by, by three feet? I mean, something. That 15 people wouldn't fit on this table. All right, and they have 15 people yeah, in there. That's not happening. So he comes down the kitchen, or he, he, comes, he comes down to the kitchen, and... One of the things they do, I talked about it before, cooking a Langer meal before. So they have stoves going. So three of the women are inside that pantry and said, if we don't go out and shut off the stoves, we're going to burn to death. Because if that starts on fire, we have no way out. So they're on the other side of the Pepsi machine. They start out. He sees them and starts shooting. Mm -hmm. And he shoots six rounds at them, does not hit them. Which I think is really important to this story. It, it, it's huge in as much as the distance is from the camera on the left photo. So basically from here to there, which is all of about 20 feet. So he, he takes six shots at three people and doesn't touch them. And, and it, to give you a, 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 the perspective on it, mm-hmm. these are the three rounds. They're under the post-it note. 
So, I mean, it's not like he doesn't know how to shoot. That group. I was going to look at the group. Within two inches I mean, of it, each it's shot. It's ridiculous, but that's right at the pantry door. So now as he's going to chase them around, and now there's nowhere for them to go. Those 15 people are behind that. <laughs> Sorry. They're, they're behind that pocket door, which the rounds he's using will go through that like there's no door, period. But when he looks out the window, he just happens to see, and this goes back to Kalika, because if Kalika doesn't Slow try to stop him, they all die. That's that's not for debate. That's defend, you know, absolute. But this is just when my squad comes. So as soon as my squad comes in, he leaves everybody and then comes outside. So to put in perspective for the audience, Kalika slows him down. And as he's entering this kitchen where the pantry is located, and he doesn't know there's 15 people in there. He just sees three ladies pass right. that he misses and shot selectively. He sees out this window in his 12 o'clock, your squad car pulling up. Right. And it's that moment right then and there. He stops on a dime and says, all right, I'm changing directions. Exactly. Otherwise, we've got, you know, 15 other people we're talking about. Right. 15 women and children are going to mm -hmm. die. And, and and again, I, I always look at Kalika. Mm -hmm. Kalika is the, the, the warrior. The warrior in this whole thing. Well, uh, and did he slow him down, what, 10 seconds, you think? I mean, I, it, it I, couldn't it, have it, been. Exactly. Right. Could, That's that's impressive. Max. Yeah. It, it, but even then, 10 seconds is, you know, what can happen in 10? Look what he's done in basically a minute and a half. Right. So 10 seconds is a, is pretty substantial. Yeah. So so now it's just it going to look like this. The uh, bad guy's car is down here. So uh, you guys see me drive up. Mm -hmm. You see the bad guy come out. Uh, bad guy's actually going to start running this way towards his car. Uh, and at this point, we're talking about 100 yards, 150 yards? Uh, from my car to the front is probably about 70. Okay. And then, but it, that'll close because once I get out of the car, I, I, I start heading to the temple uh, entrance. So it, it definitely gets it down. Uh, Sam comes in. Uh, Sam and the, and the bad guy go at it. That's 90. Okay. Uh, initially, it's a 90-yard thing. Then he drives up, and that's 76 yards where he starts laying down rounds. Uh, Sam hits him, and he falls behind this median, uh, and we go from there. So, And Sam, for the audience, was a sniper marksman. Right. He was a—at uh, this point, he's got 25 years as a marksmanship in, uh, instructor, and— and he, he's able to get a shot on, not, excuse me, a shot on the assailant. Right. And then, did you know at this time that he was to your six o'clock when you pulled up facing? No, no. Okay. Uh, no, not till, uh, not till after. Gotcha. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I, I bring this up because sometimes we get wrapped up on what's important and what's not important. So to, for me, you know, that the, the true keys to, to, to human performance are more than anything, you got to breathe. It's your breath. The minute your breath is out of control, you're out of control. That, that, that's not debatable. Think about any time you've sprinted and you're, you're huffing and puffing. What could you actually do when you're huffing and puffing? And if I told you to do some trigonometry or I told you to do manual dexterity, you couldn't do it. So now make that sustain where you're almost out of breath. What happens then? And the truth of the matter is I, you know, I'm a... I, I love Brazilian jiu-jitsu. You know, mm -hmm. MMA, I, I, I think it's awesome. But if you watch those guys in the ring, nobody's out of control. They're always in control. You can see guys, somebody's even on their back and their their brain is going, okay, what do I do here? Mm -hmm. You know, two on one and do all this stuff. And that, to me, is the key. And it did. I'm not talking about even fighting for your life. I'm talking about your three-year-old will not do what you want them to. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You, you, that's where you need to breathe so you don't let the, the kid get the better of you, you know? Uh, and, and, and with all that, it all comes down to control. And we get, as a society, we get so wrapped up in, well, I need to be in control. And, and the truth of it all is you can only control you. Nothing else. Everything else is going to happen whether you're there or not. 
So the quicker you learn, I can, whatever the event is, I can only choose my reaction to the event. Mm -hmm. I can't control the event in any way, shape, or form. You can't even control your two-year-old. No. You can't. The best you can do is influence them to make a decision that's in line with you. And yes, you can make the argument, well, they're two years old, you could pick them up, you know, and, and do whatever. But you're not changing their mentality. You're not changing their thought process. You're just Changing their physical them. location at that point. Exactly. It. So it, again, it still comes back to, and and again, you go to, you go back to the octagon. They know I can only control how I react to the punch, the faint, the choke. That's it. So it, again, it's it, it's all of it. And the the other one for me is you got to forget. Uh, if you don't forget, you breed fear, because. Anything that happens that's related to one thing is, well, that was bad. It caused me pain, so I'm totally going to avoid that. You know, as a buddy of mine, Tony Blower, he has fear is false expectations appearing real because we do way more damage in our brain on what's going to happen. And I'm freaking horrible at it. I'll be, if you ever watch me, even watch a freaking fight, I'm like, this, you know, I'm like, Duh. and then you realize, what the hell am I doing? Right. You know, it, it, this isn't me. This, you know, that happened. So the quicker you can forget and move on and say, okay, I'll take that learning experience with me, but I'm not going to put myself way back. And, and I'll give you a, a, a real good example. Yo, thank you so much for choosing us today. We're definitely not done with our podcast, but we are going to take a really short sponsor break and then we'll get right back to the show. I've been in the lending business for 20 years. I've seen many different lenders. During those 20 years, I recognized there's a difference between being an originator and an advisor. And the team at Bank of England is full of advisors. They take their time to understand your needs. They take the time to structure a mortgage for you and your family. And I cannot recommend them enough. If you're in the market to purchase a home, maybe it's a second home, maybe it's an investment property, or you're looking to refinance your current property that you live in, take a minute to work with the advisors at Bank of England Mortgage. They're a nationwide lender, and you can find your local branch at boemortgage.com. Boemortgage.com. Because it's more than loans, it's people. Thanks so much for letting us give a shout out to our sponsor. All right, now back to the podcast. We used to train in law enforcement all the time that, uh, this is before simunitions, soap pellets and all that good stuff. We used to just do wooden guns, mm -hmm. right? It'd be a, a blue gun. And we do the pew pew training, like, okay, pew pew, you're down. So what did we train people to do? Not to forget, but I remembered that when I got shot, even in training, I went down and I stopped fighting. So uh -huh. what did we do? We train generationally. If you get shot, you stop. Because we didn't teach them to forget and go, okay, here's a new thing. This is the way it's got to be. We train them not to forget. You get shot, you go down, you're out of the play. And that, that that's, that's I'm just giving you an example. This, yeah, no. It's all over the place. So the quicker you can say, bad shit happened, step over it, take whatever piece you need to go and move on, the better off you're going to be. I love that false expectations appearing real. Yeah. That's fantastic. Has this ever led you to meditation? I mean, this this yeah. to me seems right in line with, uh, you know, going to the present, letting the outside disappear, and, and again, going right into what you're talking about. I, I try. I suck at it. <laughs> uh, I do. But, and, and we'll get into it later, but every day you try and do a little bit. Right. So well, that's that warrior mentality, right? You, it's showing up that matters go. more than so anything. I, I, it's funny when you, you you broke this out and you're like, what's your one more? Every day, that's all you need. You just need mm -hmm. that one more thing, that one one side. It doesn't have to be monumental. And we get we get so freaking wrapped up in, I got to conquer the world. No, you don't. You got to take one piece of sand from there and move mm -hmm. here, and you've made progress. Mm -hmm. You got to read a book for a couple of minutes a day. Well, I only, I, I couldn't read the whole book. I only got 10 pages. That's 10 pages more than you did. It's good. Learn something every day. Get be wise every day. To pick something up from somebody else every day. It's all about that learning experience. It's all about 
That's what gets you happy. And the end of life, that's what freaking makes you happy is I can't control anything. I'm back to me. And if I can be happy that, you know what? I meditated a couple more minutes than I did (laughs) yesterday. That's a good day. 10 seconds is all you need. Right. And then especially if you do it at the end of the day, it's a good cleanse. Right. When I I work second shift from uh, three in the afternoon to 11 o'clock at night, I didn't sleep till four in the morning because you just replay and replay and replay and replay. For what? I can't change any of that happened. So why am I losing sleep? Why am I hurting my health? Why am I hurting my happiness by going back to shit mm-hmm. that I can't ever fix? Yeah. I can't move any of it. Well, just to share also, when I first heard this, the breath piece was what hit me the hardest. And yeah. ever since I've heard that, there have been many times where I've said, go to your breath, control your breath. And it's, you know, if you're up in the middle of the night and you're just, your brain's racing, Go to your breath and just count your breaths and focus on your breaths. And it's, so, thank you because I think, you know, you can hear that forty-five times from different people, and it takes sometimes hearing it from one specific story or one specific way to resonate with you, and it actually changes everything. So, you know, from my point, thank you for, oh, for that you, lesson. And, here. and again, I didn't, I didn't invent any of this. Oh no, this I know, is, but it, it is. It's, it's the way that it's delivered, and, and that connected with me, and I thought and, and that's important. I, I we learned it. Uh, from chasing people in cars right. mm-hmm. and things always went bad because the first guy who was in the chase would take it personally and then wouldn't handle the car properly because they're too wound up. And so we were wrecking cars and people, and you're like, no, 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 what do we do? So then that's what you do, breathe. Yeah. And we did box, you know, this, there's apps for everything. And I, I don't, that there's a, a guy I know, Brian McKenzie, does this thing called Shift. Mm-hmm. If you look him up on Instagram, S H I F T, just go there because <laughs> he has all the science behind it. Where I'm just like, I hear blah, 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 <laughs> breathe. Okay, good. <laughs> you know, where it's like mitochondrial this. And right. Well, you know, it. Ha- I mean, it's uh, it's even on our Apple watches. I noticed we're all wearing something like that. It, it's it's on there for a reason, you know, because they've yeah. done studies that show breathing two minutes a day, just just calm breathing. You know, the funny thing is too, and not only because Brian was talking, Brian McKenzie was talking about it, was, and, and uh, Lieutenant Grossman were talking about the... When trauma happens, if you're able to control your breath and trauma, you're then your uh, likelihood of developing PST drops dramatically. Interesting. It's because you, if you do it the other way, it's because you have the trauma and you're losing control of yourself to the utmost mm-hmm. that that it's will connected. always stay with you. Yeah, yeah. there's that yeah. Uh, that synergistic yeah. thing, and and the more you realize that, you like. That makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Even if bad stuff is going, if I can just kind of deal with it, then it, it's not going to affect me as deeply. So Interesting. Big thank you to Lieutenant Brian Murphy for coming by the studio doing this podcast and to Charlie Walker, my producer, the best in the business, man. This is an incredible series that we put together. I hope you're all enjoying the first part of it. Leave us a comment below. Let us know what you think. The second one drops November 16th, and it's just as good as the first part. So tune in for that one Wednesday, November 16th. I got one more shot, I'm gonna make it. One more chance, I'm gonna take it. I meant it when I said it, now it's time for me to do it. I got one life to live, so I put all into it, yeah.